Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother Michael to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be diving into the chapters we're discussing today and those we've read before, but the only spoilers beyond the chapters we discuss will come from Michael's vague memories of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a decade ago. Today we're discussing Arya 4 and Sansa 4 of A Game of Thrones. How's it going, Michael? I can't believe this is only four for both of them. Yeah, feels like more. I think because each of their chapters feature each other pretty heavily. Uh, And they show up in Ned chapters a lot, too. That too, yeah. But uh, we got we got some some repercussions going on today. Uh, also, my case that I've been making about Sansa being the goddamn worst uh, has come to full full uh, bloom, if you will. This is this is definitely a low point for her. Let's uh, let's try not to judge anybody by their worst decisions. Oh, it's not their worst decisions. It's every decision, Dan. Oh, shit. Every. Um. Well, you crush that little girl, Michael. Just absolutely destroy her. <laughs> it's what I was put on this earth to do. Ooh, oh, God. <laughs> uh, Dan, I'm mad. I'm mad because I'm kicking myself that I should have said something that I said on last episode. That I should have said, you know what? I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I was thinking something at one point when we recorded, <laughs> and I didn't get it out. And what it was is that I can't Kind of like mad. you're not getting it out now. Yeah, what? <laughs> You know what? We'll talk about it when we get to Sansa. I'm over this. I want to focus on the Arya chapter because Arya continues to be a badass. And uh, Serial Pharrell has come out to be a badass that we, I think we assumed him to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he he had some sort of like like mysterious uh, uh, sort of like, like, like aura about him. And, and we got to see some fun stuff that we'll see in a second. I will say that I continue to think about who mystery person number two was it when in god might have been not probably not the last aria chapter but maybe two arias ago let's double check maybe it was last one to be honest i mean it's been a while since i think we've seen her but uh but with that said this was when she came across uh illyrio and this other person that we're talking about sort of the 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 sort of uh you know what's coming to war and, and who's going where i'm gonna call him man in the metal cap um and I'm curious about something. It was it was last Arya chapter, Arya three. God, so long ago. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've been with her. Well, but anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, your additional thoughts on that. I know it's been bothering you for a little while, so uh, maybe you can come to a conclusion that I will not confirm. I'm going to spoil it now. I still think it's Varys. I right. think Varys in costume. You've said that before. I have, and I'm coming back to it. Uh, but you know what? Why don't we, I, unless you have anything you let's want to get add, there. let's let's No, jump let's in. get there when we get there. All right. So just just to bring us into it, right, we, we ended last episode with a Ned chapter, with a Ned chapter, where, where basically Ned and, by extension, his family is now under threat. Uh, King Robert has died. Ned is a a uh you know oof, i am not able to say any words right now what at least this isn't just a 100 audio thing that we do yeah exactly it's just you know the words aren't that important here king's landing is falling robert is dead ned is yes. in, in handcuffs <laughs> in manacles we assume and i like this ass- newspaper headline or uh, radio <laughs> trying to get it out approach you've got going on here I should the point is, interrupting you. Here we are. We're in Westeros, and Arya is just dicking around with Serio Pharrell. Yeah, they're uh, they're having the lesson that she asked for at the beginning of Ned's chapter, where she she wanted one last one with him before they left, just to fit it in, since he's probably coming with them. And here they are. And I think that's probably the thing that I'm really trying to say, which is that this chapter seems to follow right in the timeline of what we just saw with Ned. It's happening concurrently. Uh, yeah, if not I think right, that's right. right as it happens. Um, and so we have we have what I think is kind of our first time with Arya with Sirio. They're going through this quote-unquote dance lesson, which is a sword fighting lesson. And Sirio is pretty badass. He's, you know, doing sword lesson things. Yeah, uh, specifically uh, calling out directions that he's going to hit her from and she has to block them. And, and there's a moment very early on that I love where we're obviously in Arya's head, she's thinking to herself, she almost touched him, almost so close it made her grin. Like this is such a wonderful teacher, you know, that he is he's not 
letting her beat him. He wants her to learn from the mistakes and wants her to learn from a true master, which involves him showing her his skill. Something that's nice about Syria too, because we quickly move from this moment of, of actual fencing that they're doing and practicing into him giving a little bit of background about himself uh, and, and sort of who he is. He is the first sword to the Sea Lord of Bravos, which I meant to ask, have we heard about Bravos before? It's a free city, I think. Is that yeah, so so it's a free city. It's uh, in terms of maps kind of directly across from King's Landing. Um, so, or uh, further north, I guess that was Pentos that was closest, but it's also on the coast on the Narrow Sea. And that's really most of what we know about it at this point. Okay. Um, we, we get like a little bit of understanding about him. We also understand that he's, I'm going to use the word witty, but I don't mean that in a jocular kind of way. He is intelligent. He is, is, it has a lot of wit in what he thinks about He's trying to tell Arya that, you know, uh, you have to listen with your eyes. <laughs> he says, see with your eyes, but listen with your ears. Listen to what's going on. Pay attention to what's going on. He's he's really mentoring her. And he gives a wonderful little uh, a little story of how he came to be the yeah. first sword to the Sea Lord of Bravos. Well, where before, kind of right before that happens. Yeah, no, the, the cats, we'll get to the cat. We always talk about the cats here. Uh, they wrap up their little the training here. at the beginning by Sirio lying to her about which direction he's going to hit her from. Right. I love this moment, so I just wanted to to call That's it out here. Uh, you know, he says left and goes right, or the opposite, and uh, and then you are dead now. And Arya says, Arya has this righteous anger to her that I really like. You cheated. And he says, just so, and now you are a dead girl. This is such a crucial lesson for somebody learning how to fight to learn. You're not here to trust your opponent. You're not here to listen. You know, there are no rules. There are no... There's no honor, and this is kind of what we saw with Braun as well mm-hmm. in his fight. It's about winning. It's about not dying. And so this is this is where Sirio says you need to learn to see, actually see, not just watch. Uh, and if you were paying attention, you know, if you're if you're watching not the eyes but the body, uh, you wouldn't have fought, fallen for the head fake. And that's where we go into the story about this cat. He tells his story about becoming the the first sword to the Sea Lord of Bravos, where all these other men went in and were shown a cat on the you know the the king's lap and basically he said tell me what's exotic about this cat and they all said so many things and sirius said you know what it's a regular cat and he was appointed right away he's he paid attention to what he saw and and i think that stands out i'll yeah, add to I, I like that you i like that you bring up brawn but i think there's a really nice foil between these men of of action if you action is the wrong word but these sort of men who are looking out for themselves that understand sort of how com- the, the the commerce of, of human exchange works uh in contrast with a lot of the royalty that we see uh and a lot of these sort of people at a high level who sort of talk from a distance the honor that Sirio talks about is much more direct than a lot of what we hear from Ned and, and Catelyn and the Starks and things like that absolutely absolutely a whist Wist. Oh man, this is going to be a long episode as I continue to not speak English. <laughs> I'm leaving all of this in. Um, I, I wanted to add one last quote from Sirio here before we move on to the next section, just on the same topic. He concludes this lesson by teaching her, use your senses, see with your eyes, smell with your nose, then comes the thinking afterward, and in that way, knowing the truth. Uh, and I just think that's such a perfect summary of the, the, the moral of what he's trying to impart to her in addition to the, the useful skills. I will also, I want to flag this moment that you're quoting because I want to bring it up again in a couple pages because um, I think there's a really good example of her doing that and kind of experiencing that in just a moment. So we'll, we'll get there. But yeah. I also, I had highlighted that too. I think that there's, I mean, just something really direct about these 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 people whose decisions have immediate effects on them, as opposed to, like I was saying, this sort of royalty who has a little more time for strategy to, to build itself out. Um, with that said, this scene shifts very quickly right now, as I basically Sirio says, well, you seem great. Maybe when we get to Winterfell, because he'll be going with her to continue teaching her how to fence, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start to use real metal, not just these wooden these fake wooden swords that we've been using right now. And specifically, she'll get to use needle, which needle. she's very excited about. He's going to let her use, you know, he, we did learn earlier, it's kind of like a Bravo blade, uh, which they use in Bravos, and it kind of reflects that, but she's really pumped to get to use her own named sword. She also has a really cute moment. She says, you know, she's like eager to to show John 
Uh, you know, but I mean, obviously, like she's excited to get to Winterfell. There's other things that have been in motion. He's not there anymore. But still, I thought it was cute. Yeah. Uh, a nice callback to their relationship from the start yeah. of the book. With that said, uh, before she gets the chance to go and get out of town with Sirio and start heading to Winterfell, they are interrupted by, uh, who is it here? Some Kingsguard, some, I think, Gold Cloaks, and Lannister men. So no Gold Cloaks. No yeah, Gold it's, Cloaks. It's five Lannister men led by Sir Meryn Trant, who is a member of the Kingsguard. We have not seen a ton of him. He's kind of been around in and out. We don't know a lot about him, but he is one of the ones, along with Sir Boros, who we'll see next chapter, that Varys referred to as Cersei's creatures. Mm. Uh, this was a few chapters back, so I, I just wanted to note that there because he's very much so operating as a Lannister operative in this moment. We have this sort of immediate moment of Sirio's teachings coming to like like her needing to or or or, or being able to experience some of Sirius teachings firsthand right now. Mm -hmm. uh, she's told by Sir Marin Trant, you know, come with us, your father's summoning you. She goes to step forward, to which Sirius says, wait a second, and pulls her back. Why are Lannister men coming to pick up the Stark daughter to join Ned Stark? Yeah. Uh, I thought this moment also with the sea, the true seeing was mm -hmm. a nice reflection of Ned last chapter where Ned walked into the throne room and mm -hmm. everybody's fully armored. And he registered that and knew exactly what it meant. Uh, and I think Sirio, in addition to the fact that they're Lannister men, is picking up on something similar. These are armed men. And they're this fully is a armed. fully armored member of the Kingsguard coming to bring the you know seven or eight-year-old daughter of the Hand of the King somewhere. That is highly suspicious. Uh, there's some wordplay back and forth for a little while. Sirio, Sirio seems to have soaked in the moment very, very quickly. He understands, and 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 this is how he's speaking to it. He's, ah, I wouldn't say provoking these men, but he's playing with them a little bit. He knows that this is there's no explanation that's going to satisfy Sirio right now. There's no reason why these men would be coming clad in armor as Lannister men unless something was very, very wrong. It also makes me wonder if Sirio maybe knows. And we don't know Sirio very well as a character, but maybe right. that he knows a lot more about what's going on than he's letting on. Uh, Definitely possible. Definitely possible. He He's picking up on some tensions, at least, whether it's just now in this moment or in general in the castle, that, you know, Arya has not necessarily figured out. And certainly, as we'll get to, Sansa has not at all. Uh, so Sirio is, is definitely noticing that. There's also a brief moment in here, too, where in trying to convince Arya to come with him, Trant says, like, what, what are you questioning? I'm a member of the Kingsguard, effectively appealing to his honor and authority. And I think it's interesting that Arya, even little Arya, this child, says, well, so was Jamie, And he killed the king, mm -hmm. you know? And so that, I think, kind of underscores something that we've talked about before with respect to, to Jamie taking out the Mad King, who we know as this villain, that this is part of the reason why that was such a, a bad thing for him to do in violating his oath is the way that it soiled the entire organization, the entire apparatus that he was a part of there to the point where even this small child is having that reaction. Now, Arya also has her own general issues with structures of authority that she is probably more likely to think that way than somebody like Sansa, but regardless, it stuck out to me. You know, I hadn't thought about it until you were bringing it up now, but you know, the sort of the soiling of the organization, but it brings me back to Ned's dream of those three main King's Guardmen, you know, out at the the tower in the south, mm -hmm. I guess. Tower of Joy, yeah. The tower, yeah. And, uh, you know, also, like, what does it mean? And again, we're not clear yet, and I, I have no idea, right? It was the dream that Ned was referring to a memory, or was it a projection of, of an understanding of these men? Uh, but it seems like they were very uh, absent in their duties as well, to some extent. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe the whole the whole organization was kind of uh, screwing itself somewhere uh, along the way. But I'm speculating a lot. Yeah. I mean, they did also have such a strong reaction to Jamie in that same conversation. Yeah. So uh, yeah. maybe absent in their duties in their own special way, different from Jamie's struggles. We move as this conversation between Sirio and the Kingsguard slash uh, Lannisters turns into conflict. Uh, what is sort of some some witty barbs back and forth turns into Sirius saying, Arya, get out of here. This is this is going to be a fight. Arya stays long enough to watch and realize that that grin that you had mentioned before where she thought she almost got him, she realizes that he was going very, very easy on her. This yeah. man with his wooden stick against, what is it, five 
guardsmen, knights, whatever you want to call them, he is dominating. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He, is he, killing he kills it. several of them. Yeah. yeah, she has this line. By the time she reaches the door, there are five men down, dead or dying. Uh, you know, one of them he takes out an eye. He breaks another's hand. He gets one of them to kill his his uh, colleague who's who's lost his helm. He kind of dodges a blow, and and the guy dies. And yeah, Arya watches long enough to know he was toying with her when they dueled and i think that's interesting you know he was pulling off but not enough that she could win he, she right. was never going to win but he did know how to moderate himself so that she could still learn I, it reminded me of when when dad taught me how to swim uh he took me out on like the deep deep end and said he would be like three or four feet away from me and be like come to me and then he'd keep backing away as I got closer. He did that to me too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is the worst. It, it, it wasn't, he wasn't supporting me at, at all physically. I had to support myself. And he always remained just one step out of reach. Uh, but, but you know, obviously he was a much better swimmer than I was as a child. Like I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did want to point at though, something, there was, a, there was a description here that brought me back to our conversation about when Aria overheard Illyrio and our mystery man. Okay. Um, She's referring now to the Red Cloaks. Uh, and I'm going to quote this here. The Red Cloaks came at him from three sides. This is coming at Sirio now, so she's watching. Uh, they came at him from three sides with steel in their hands. They had chain mail over their chest and arms and steel cod pieces sewn into their pants, but only leather on their legs. Their hands were bare and the caps they wore had nose guards, but no visors over the eyes. For some reason, this is what I remember. That second guy, this mystery man wearing, was a was one of these metal caps with the nose guard and no visor over the eyes. I don't know if you remember that detail at all, but I can't um, imagine it was a Lannister man that was there. But it's it jumped out to me, and it brought back the sort of itch that is dying to know who this who this person is. A round, scarred face and a stubble of dark beard showed under his steel cap, and he wore mail over boiled leather and a dirk and short sword at his belt. Yeah, so there's some similarity there, definitely. Um, it's also describing generic armor. Oh, I know. Which is is difficult, uh, but I see what you're going for. I like the connections you're drawing. I want to sit here for a second, too, because I continue to rack my brains about who this could be. And it has to be somebody who is involved in all of this. You know, you've killed one, it's referred to this mystery person that you, you've you killed one hand, you know, one hand's been killed before. One, one hand, hand can die, yeah. You know, and it sounds like this person had a big hand in that. I have, I can't figure it out, Dan. And if it's not told to me in this book, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> That'll be a good reason for you to keep reading if that's Going the case. to lose it. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it definitely seems from that chapter, like, that mystery man is the actor on the ground and so is probably somebody involved in the various intrigues that we're seeing whereas illyrio obviously is elsewhere and so so but, you know that has to be the person acting but the mystery man landing. can't be somebody that aria is seeing often like because i assume she would recognize him you know and kind of point that out like yeah like, you'd think so i mean I, look most likely uh, if, if this person is around Ned's apartments, she would recognize them. On the flip side, Arya is thoroughly uninterested in the workings of court, and we've seen that on a number of occasions. Of uh, she, she cares about the people she can talk with and interact with and get to know. Whereas there are plenty of people in the nobility and in court life who she has no interest in paying any attention to at all you know she doesn't go to the tournament she's not coming to court the way Sansa is she's not really paying attention to any of these things well fuck <laughs> anyway back to our current present uh place where we are Arya is running away at Surio's behest um and she is understandably terrified uh she she leaves you know going back to what you had just the quote that you had just read uh you know by the time she reached the door five of the men were already dead or dying there i think there was one left but she leaves before she w witnesses that fight and we find out soon enough i mean she really assumes that Sirio's dead like like that's it there's yeah. no way he's gonna make it the out last thing she sees from him he, he lands a couple of blows on sir Merrin. uh but one of the interesting things about that quote about the lannister armor uh, for me, is that it was highlighting their weak points, leather mm -hmm. on the legs. They don't have coverings on their face, which allows him to take the eye out and, and attack one of the guys next and things like that. 
Sir Marin is described by contrast as being fully armored head to toe, and there's really nothing for Sirio to do against that. It says he lands a few hits, ringing his armor, uh, but then Sir Marin slices Sirio's practice sword in half. And right. that's the last thing we see. Uh, so that's specifically why Arya assumes he's dead. We don't see him die on the page, uh, but it seems like a pretty safe bet. Arya departs the room and runs. She is totally apoplectic. I mean, understandably so. Try and understand what's going on. I think as she's running, she starts to hear other fighting going on as well. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, uh, she's she's aware of that. Like like she's and to, to to you know to to give credit to Syria here, she's very conscious of her surroundings. She she's quickly picking up on what's going on to the extent that if they came for her, then that means they're coming for the family. They, they, you know, that means she needs to get out of here. She can't stay here. There's nowhere to be safe here. Yeah, she she specifically thinks to herself first she wants to find Ned because Ned will be able to protect her. Mm-hmm. Uh and she she t- decides not to go up to the tower but rather down to the cellars because that's what they won't expect. Um and while she's down in the cellars realizes this probably means dad's in trouble and will not be able to help me. I need to get out of my head that I need to look for him. I have to take care of myself here. And there's a specific quote. They had killed Jory and Will and Heward, who were the three that were mm-hmm. killed outside the brothel. And that guardsman on the step, whoever he had been, because she sees through the window a, a dead, stark body outside. Mm-hmm. They could kill her father too, and her if they caught her. And this is extraordinarily prescient for a, a young child in a traumatic situation, in a scary situation for her to keep her wits about her. And it's so clearly linked to Sirio's teachings in a way that I love. Mm-hmm. She is repeating her mantras to herself the way that we've seen time and time again throughout her training with Sirio. But the one line she keeps coming back to you over and over and over again, fear cuts deeper than fear swords. Fear cuts deeper than swords. And you can see why that would be such an important first lesson for somebody teaching you fighting to teach you. As soon as you get worried about getting hit, you've lost. I did want to point out too that uh, in her moment, as she's trying to, as she's really groping, grappling with what the situation is, she does recall what she overheard Illyrio say. Not that she knows who Illyrio is, but if one hand can die, why not a second? She is mm-hmm. hyper aware, and 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 it resonates with her these relevant moments. She's putting pieces together uh, that were there. Um, she, yeah, I'm, I'm going off of what you were just saying. She really is. This is a moment of of transit for her. She is inside the sort of castle walls if you will she is desperately trying to figure out and identify where to go she realizes that her father is probably not the where to go and so i think she in, in a really smart move goes to the stables it's yeah, like go get a horse get me out of here um she gets there there is a wonderful kind of like i don't know did i write it this way uh kind of like wonderful magical moment where she's like Oh my god! I gotta get out of here. And she's saddling the horse, and she's like, "What's that over there? Oh, it's all my things that I packed. How yeah. lucky! There's my stuff." And she grabs some stuff, and she finds her sword. She finds needle. Uh, it is it is it grounded nicely, which I like. I, I agree with you. This is kind of uh, stumble across exactly what you need in <laughs> oh that my moment. God. <laughs> but she does find, uh, and, and this I think is a, an important moment to mention. She finds Holland, who is the master of horse at Winterfell, dying outside the stable, uh, and and he kind of has his last words of you know go warn Ned, which I think Ned probably knows. Uh, but finds him, and Holland dies, and then she goes inside and finds more dead Winterfell men, including Desmond who was the guardsman who had had promised to take care of Ned when she was scared about it. And then specifically said, he'll be fine. Every Northern man is worth 10 of these Southerners. And she thinks close to him was a dead man in the red cloak and lion crested helm of the Lannisters. Only one though, which is such a sad moment. We're touching on a lot of specifics, but I think, I, I don't think we've said it yet, is that the, the violence going on is quite literally, as I understand it, this is Lannister's cleaning house of Starks. Period. Yeah. This is it's it's not. I don't think anybody else is of a concern right now to Lannisters, or or rather, you had even said this. I think last episode, those that might be have left already. Bronley's gone. You know, like like Stannis isn't there. Like, 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 whatever. Uh, <laughs> you knew who I was talking about. Bronley sounds like the worst child of a millennial name. Like like some. Some 28-year-old with her third kid in Iowa named her, her child Bronley. I kind of <laughs> like it. It has like a Gaelic sort of sound. All right, you you use it. That's fine. Uh, 
whatever, whoever it was. But the point is, is that like, like you had spoken about before, those with political savvy saw the writing on the wall and left. And it seems like the only ones who did not move fast enough. And let's keep in mind, right? Ari and Sansa were supposed to leave that afternoon. Right. They, and they're supposed to be on their way out. They just didn't, the Starks didn't make it out, period. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was either it was either act first violently, which Ned was uncomfortable doing, or get out, and uh, and he opted for neither. And he's a dummy. Um, but here she is. She's in the stables. She finds her sword. Uh, she hears, you know, she's she's very hyper aware of this sort of cleaning house of Starks that's going on. Uh, she is confronted, Dan. She is confronted yeah. uh, by some dude. Some fat stable boy. Yeah. Uh and and basically, I mean, like it's it's I didn't care for or not care for this moment. It was a very nice way to move into a very, very specific situation for Arya to go through. Uh this young stable boy says, Oh, there she is. Clearly the words out, they were trying to find Arya or Starks in general. He uh, you know, she says, you know, you need to help me. My father's the hand of the king, he'll reward you. He says, Father's dead. Uh, and makes it very succinct. Now, I think we know Ned's that... Ned's dead, baby. Ned's dead. Whose chopper is this? Uh, <laughs> whose horse is this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he he says, and, and, and I think, you know, for, for as much as Arya knows, and maybe it's true as far as we know, but I, I don't think so. We know that he's kind of been taken captive, uh, but Starks are dying and Stark men are dying. But right. Arya now may be under the impression that he's dead. Uh, this young boy says, you know, I'm going to take you. I'm taking you to the queen. Basically, she's going to reward me. Right. And uh, and th- this is the line that I want to go to, which which is about, you know, what you were talking about, Syria's lessons and the idea of like being present and and acting before overthinking things. And I like this line a lot. I'll, I'll quote it. Um, the boy says, uh, I says, come. And he grabbed her arm hard. Everything Syria Pharrell had ever taught her vanished in a heartbeat. In that instant of sudden terror, the only lesson Arya could remember was the one Jon Snow had given her, the very first. She struck him with the pointy end. Uh, and, yep. and and I just think that, you know what, like, I think that speaks, again, highly to Syria's sort of lessons and things. The fact is, is like, good that she is constantly reminded of his words, you know, the, these idioms that he gives her and all of this. But at the end of the day, a sword fight is about a sword fight. <laughs> And that's what she does. And she wins. With the pointy end. Yeah. She does win. I want to settle just briefly on this moment because it's extraordinarily visceral. And I think that's done intentionally. She is young. And we're supposed to feel how young she is in this moment where she has now killed someone. Justifiably, this is clearly self-defense. I mean, this this larger boy is uh, attacking her and, and trying to do her violence. But gets described to us in such a gory way he he she stabs him straight through it comes out his back starts to bleed he grabs at the sword which cuts him even more and asks her to take it out when she took it out out. he died yeah it's it's so violent and you know the the piercing and the penetration of it which i think is always the case a little bit with swordplay has like almost a sexual violence aspect to it this is not meant to be some rah-rah cheering moment for Arya as much as it was necessary and she had to get out of there uh and and we immediately see that in the next few pages with her where this is sitting with her this is really scaring her that she has now done this we also see this to a, in a very different perspective, but in the same way in the next chapter with Sansa. And we'll I'll point that out too when we get there. But I think, yeah, th- this is this is a reality coming down. And I also, you know, to to really reemphasize what you're saying, you know, death by sword is going to be very similar kind of across, across yeah. you know, no matter where it happens. The fact that it's described so viscerally, I think, you know, is a great way to emphasize how awful this is for her. It's her first time. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's something that she never would have thought to have to have done. You know, why Why would this be something for her to do? Uh, and I think it really, it it portrays the trauma of it really well. Yeah. One of, one of the immediate next lines, she had to get away someplace far from here, someplace safe away from the stable boy's accusing eyes. Mm. Like it, it's, it kind of fluctuates over the course of the rest of this chapter as she calms herself again and, and starts to move away from it. But you can immediately see that this is going to sit with her and going to be difficult whether it's conscious or subconscious 
at least until the end of the chapter, at which point she says, well, I'm fine with this, but we'll get there. Well, that's what I mean. That, you know, <laughs> she needs to, that's all part of the trauma response, right? Sure, where, sure. where you have the instant reaction of fear and anxiety and stress, but you need to find some way to bring the heart rate down. And she does that successfully using Sirio's tactics, which I think is very impressive, but that doesn't yeah. mean she'll be fine tomorrow. Um, good. But as this has now happened, she has killed this boy. Uh, she continues to have that need to escape, but she she again gets a little presence of self and realizes there's no way they're letting anyone out of this castle right now. There's no way she's about to gallop a horse like through the front gate. <laughs> yeah, um, that would probably be tough. And luckily for her, she is hyper aware that there is a different secret exit because she's used it before. And this is that last chapter where she kind of found herself, you know, she was chasing cats. And this is that Illyrio and other mystery person moment where she's it's not the crypts but but she's she's down in these sort of basement areas she, the room of monsters and dragons and she wants to try to find her way back there i uh, and she does she uses serious lessons to to get a hold of herself and calm her fears and and walk slowly and methodically and confidently as someone who's not being chased should to try to retrace her steps as she was chasing that cat and uh yeah kind of finds it right the, the calming aspects of this, I think, are done really interestingly, where the fact that it's been a mantra for her uh, for pretty much the, the middle half of this book comes through in a clear way where it becomes disembodied. It is a voice. She thinks maybe even it's Sirio's voice that she hears from outside herself saying, calm as still water, quiet as a shadow. Her mind is just running its way through these reminders that she has now so fully made a part of her muscle memory that it's a way to settle herself. And, and that's the value of a good teacher in this sort of context that Sirio has been able to instill these things that they they become a rote reaction to fear a rote reaction mm -hmm. to stress and anxiety and you can just see how clearly that works for her I uh, she continues forward she's able to retrace her steps as much as she can she finds that room with the dragons uh she she's making her way out and as she's going through this she kind of finds not just it and i like this a lot it's not it's no longer just serious words but serious words have now sort of taken a more universal effect uh which is that she's she remembers that she's been to the crypts in winterfell which are much scarier than this and filled with real dead people not just the bones of dragons uh she remembers a really sort of kind of comical moment that happened down there with her family uh rob took her and sansa and uh bran down there uh and all of a sudden a dead body came out of the crypt scaring Sansa away screaming and uh freaking out Bran only to find out that it was John uh kind of covered in flour and yeah and uh, a little bit of true sight for Arya even before working with Sirio Pharrell she's the one who figures it out and immediately punches John in response right. which I think is great I but with that said this is this is the end of the chapter Arya is is making her way out and I I don't know if you had anything to add about to the end of the chapter. You know, this is, we talked about it last episode. A lot of our characters that have been going through a lot are hitting conclusions on one storyline and new introductions to a new one. Yeah. And I think that's true here too. So I want to, I want to pick up with that, but just to close one of the topics we were discussing with the, the, her getting past in this moment, the death of the stable boy, she does think to herself that she's terrified that he is bleeding dead somewhere in the shadows to jump out at her calms herself with this story and then reminds herself he's dead and if he jumps out at her she'd kill him again which kill i think again. is a fun little bravado to it that is uh that is nice but yeah this is clearly a transition point from aria she is moving away from ned she's moving away from sansa she is potentially moving away from king's landing the chapter closes with her thinking everything will be better when i'm home in winterfell so where do you think aria is headed what what's next for her where's she going I stand by what I said last episode too about those characters. I don't know. I uh, this is the beginning. I think of a lot of new storylines. The entire, you know, uh, geography, the entire landscape of this this world that we know has now shifted dramatically. Um, I know I keep talking about Illyrio and our mystery man, but I think a lot of their conversation is really coming to a head right now. You know, this is not the war that they were concerned about. But this is everything that they said would be leading into what me, might become a huge conflict. 
if right. Stannis the, the lion shows up, and the wolf exactly Stannis decides to show up with his armies you know then what happens if whatever his name is not Bronley Brenly Renly no B Renly decides to show up you know and, and and bring whatever he might have to bring with him too what happens if you know Catelyn and you know grabs the Tullys and 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 you know the the Knight of Flowers and all these you know all of these different the Tyrells right like like there's so many parties that are involved to what happens in this world so I don't know I don't know if Arya makes it further than you know it makes it outside the city I wouldn't surprise me if her storylines get shoved in one direction it wouldn't surprise me if she makes it back to Winterfell, but I really well, let don't me, know. Let me throw out some options here, because that was a lot of, that was a really long way to not answer my question. It's my uh, favorite thing to do. I know it is, but I'm listening and I'm going to, I'm going to get you there. So, so she could be going back to Winterfell, like she just thought. She could not get out of the castle. She could stay around King's Landing, in King's Landing, near King's Landing. Do you think she's going to go home? Do you think she's going to be, uh, reunited with Sansa and Ned Sansa or Ned in the near future and kind of be in that world or is she going off to do her own thing that's none of the above uh yeah I'm gonna stick with what I said which is I don't know nor do I have any (laughs) real guesses I think that all right you know but no but but to that point like I can't imagine and I say this more from like like a literary sort of like 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 thinking about story setup than than like the characters right like I don't think there would be a value with her being put in the same room, you know, same situation as either Ned or Sansa, especially if they're put together, having these three characters now in, you know, in the same room. I don't see that occurring. Uh, You know, I don't, I guess for that reason, I assume she's now going to be gone of, of, yeah, I, if I'm going to put down a guess here, I think she's going to make it out of the city, but not make it to Winterfell. I think that she's going to have to deal with situations on the road and the sort of fallout of whatever happened in King's Landing. Okay. Uh, and and because of that, we'll run into barrier after barrier of making it to Winterfell. But I, I like don't that. really have a sense of where that's going to put her. Totally reasonable. Sansa 4. Ugh. Your favorite. Well, the um, good news is it's a quick one. That, that that's fair. And the truth is, is, it's actually a really good chapter. I mean, there's a lot that goes on here, and we learn a lot. I don't love Sansa's character. It it Sansa's character is sort of like like the pain character. Every time I'm with Sansa, it's painful. Yeah. Uh, I don't like her perspective. I don't I don't like where her mind goes with it. And this is just that all over again times a thousand. Yeah, this um, is this is definitely the hardest of her chapters so far last time we saw her we talked a lot or rather i talked a lot and you listened to me talking about (laughs) her kind of being in denial with the way things were going in king's landing of her trying to pretend she didn't see the cracks with joffrey and the cracks with cersei uh and the reality of what's going on around them and and all of the ways she mentioned that and this chapter is that times a million it's so emphatically her trying to hold on to this old view of the world in face of irrefutable evidence that it's just not how things work and the things she believed about these people are not true uh and so this is kind of the the last gasp or at least you hope of of that side of her clinging to existence why you gotta one-up me like that man i said times a thousand you said times a million what do you what are you doing man it's because i'm better than you ah, fine i know <laughs> uh, uh i will say though uh, th- there, there's there's a fun again from a sort of writing structure thing here that i really like which is that there's a little bit of play with time uh we know that on the last chapter we picked up right as aria left her father from the chapter before right so in the ned chapter there they are having breakfast ned says sure go and have your your lesson with sirio and then ned continues on his way now we pick up where where we left her this was aria sansa however the chapter starts by saying they came for sansa on the third day and this reveals itself as the chapter goes by, but I'm going to just say it here at the beginning. We find out that the experiences that we're seeing here is a lead up to everything that, this is my understanding, right? A lead up to everything that that Arya just went through. Uh, is, no, maybe so, I'm so wrong here. Is this three days think, later? Yeah. So, so George R. R. Martin does this a lot. We've seen it a few examples. I think this is one of the most stark versions of it where he likes to start chapters in media res. Uh, you know, a couple days in, and then he tells a story through flashbacks that brings you back to the moment where this 
chapter started, and then it moves forward. So we open on three days after the incident in the okay. throne room, three days after Arya's fight, and then Sansa kind of thinks her way back over the first two days before bringing us back to the present. So we do hear Sansa's experience of that same time frame, but it's through her recollection of it rather than seeing it firsthand. Gotcha. I, with that said, as Sansa is re- remembering these three days that she's been through, or these two days that lead to a third, uh, she's been holed up, basically. She got locked away in a room. Uh, I think it's it's Magor hold, hold fast? Magor's hold fast. Yeah, so so she gets locked in her room, effectively, oh, okay. in the Tower of the Hand, uh, I believe. Magor's hold fast, though. We've heard about Magor, who, Magor the Cruel, built, for the most part, the Red Keep. Oh, and right. the way the Red Keep is structured is you have the castle as a whole, but then there is actually a, a second moat and wall that within that is the central area, which is where the king's quarters are and things of that nature. Uh, and that's Magor's Holdfast, so it's its own isolated area within the castle, kind of as an extra layer of defenses. Uh, she's holed up there completely and really just experiencing things through the sounds through her window. Uh, I like this as well. Uh, just they're hearing these sounds, grunts of pain, angry curses, shouts for help, and the moans of the wounded and dying. Uh, I, I like this. In the songs, the knights never screamed nor begged for mercy. Um, yeah. We see Sansa she, all the time thinking about the songs and, and the fantasy life, and here she is experiencing the real version of it. Yeah, this is this is exactly what we've been talking about this whole time of her pretending that the violence isn't real and only being able to experience these things through the beauty of the tournament or the practice yard or anything like that. And here she she says right before the line you quoted, yet somehow knowing that the fighting was real made all the difference in the world. It's no longer glorious. It's now horrifying in the way that the death of Sir Hugh at the tournament was, but she wouldn't let herself think about it. Look at the banners, look at the pretty armor and focus on that side of it. And here when it's made real, when people are actually killing each other for material gain, for power, for whatever it might be, you cannot ignore the realities of it anymore she is stuck in that room and listening to these things uh she is joined by jane pool who's sort of thrown in there with her uh jane pool comes in bruised and shaking they're killing everyone she shrieks uh which yeah. i just thought is yeah that, that sounds awful <laughs> that sounds bad yeah um, but sansa doesn't buy it frankly she's like jane you're hysterical calm down i'm sure your dad's fine yeah, and we have a lot of this. I Basically, Sansa is trying real hard, and, and you'll have to remind me what Sansa's age is supposed to be. I assume it's younger than Joffrey. She must be 12, I guess. I think she's like 11 or 12, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know we've talked about ages being not the most realistic, so even if we bump that up a little bit, there's a little bit of... I, I There's a fine line between uh, being a stupid person and needing to mentally reject the reality that's around you yeah uh, to protect yourself and and i can't tell which one she is right now i assume it's a little more towards the latter but we see this as she's with jane you know jane continues to whimper throughout these three days but she sansa is trying really hard to be the the lady that she should be she's trying to keep this mentality she's constantly saying i need to talk with the queen i need to talk with joffrey you know, this he's my betrothed. I'm the queen in waiting, basically. You know, I'm I'm somebody that should be allowed here. And and she starts to to sort of rationalize a little bit. She thinks maybe they're being attacked. What if something happened to Joffrey? You know, what if something happened to the queen or the king? At one point, they hear bells ringing outside. Jane Poole is asking, "What could that be?" And somehow Sansa is able to understand. It means the king's dead. Uh, these are the, and and she again is thinking. Well, he must, maybe he was attacked or somebody assassinated. Yeah, external enemies of some form. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're nailing it right on the head. For me, it's much more of the latter in, in terms of her being self protective, just because we've seen that so clearly from her, that intent from her. But the flip side of that is that there's a certain strength to it. It's not coming from a healthy place. It's coming mm-hmm. from denial. But she's trying to be strong for Jane. She's trying to comfort Jane. She's and and that's the role of the lady, right? You know, the the men go off to war and the lady of the castle needs to keep everybody, the children and the old people and the other women, keep them calm and keep them safe and, and faithful and believing. 
And there are ways to do that while still being honest with yourself and honest with the people around you. So, so Sansa's only halfway there. But it is interesting to note how she's using that chivalric notion, chivalric femininity for others and to try and fulfill this role that she thinks she has to play. That said, the next line or close to the next line is, uh, you know, Sansa went to sleep wondering, restless and fearful, was her beautiful Joffrey the king now or had they killed him too? She was afraid for him and for her father. Only they would tell her what was happening. I think that on the one hand, while she's trying to keep up, you know, her own spirits and stay strong, there is still this sort of more than rose-colored glasses. This, this Absolutely. non-paying attention to the realities of her situation, even before all of this, uh, and what she's had to experience and see. A hundred percent. Um, We get to day three, uh, which is now the present for her. Uh, and she, the door opens, basically, and here's Boros Blunt of the King's Guard coming to escort her to the Queen. I don't think we've met Boros before. I know he doesn't. He's, he's, we we have in the same way that we had met Sir Marin Trant. He's been around. He is the second one of Cersei's creatures that Varys specifically called out as kind of Lannister implants on on the King's Guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sansa actually notices here. We don't know what Sir Boros's sigil is, but his cloak is fastened with a lion, which is another symbol. Uh, in that sense, I mean, maybe he also is a lion, but as far as we know, the only lions we've got are Lannisters. Right. Uh, she's taken to the queen, basically. Uh, she's, she was hoping that Joffrey would be there. He is not. I think they go to the the the, the keep, right? Like, I'm sorry, this is, they go to... The council the room. Yeah, the council, the council chamber. Yeah. So really, this is like the small room where, where Ned had had all his meetings. I really love this moment, too, as she comes to the queen who's sitting there, she finds the queen surrounded by these huge mounds of paper and uh, blocks of sealing wax, uh, which I will take a brief aside to say, all my life I thought sealing wax was spelled with a C because you use it to seal the ceiling. Uh, it is not, it is sealing <laughs> wax to seal letters. Yeah. Uh, which I'm Well, wondering. I'm glad you figured that out. But the thing that I like though, is that this is a clear indication that Cersei has wasted no time to jump into action. You use sealing wax to seal letters. I can only imagine these as executive orders going left, right, and center to wherever she right. needs them to go. Uh, shore up her support. Exactly. And, you know, while, while Sansa is quick to, to notice how composed Cersei seems, she also notices how well busy Cersei is. Uh, this is a woman hard at work. Yeah, this this entire scene has an interesting sense to it where it feels almost choreographed on the part of Cersei and the people around her in terms of who's saying what. And that shines through. You know, this has been part of the prep work that Cersei and the King's Council have been doing. They've been doing it across the board, you know, sending out letters, and now they're also doing it here with Sansa. I will mention, like you're saying, uh, the King's Council, you know, these counselors are there. It's Cersei. It's also Baelish. It's also Pycelle. It's also Varys. Yes. Uh, all of whom are there. There there becomes a really weird conversation. Yeah, I'm going to call it weird. Uh, but a conversation between Sansa and Cersei, where, where Sansa is desperately trying to get information, and Cersei is methodically offering information, or rather, she's offering information methodically and slowly. This is what we've deigned to share with you. This is how we've shaped it to be shared with you. And like you're saying, these counselors that are there seem to chime in like a chorus uh, to support what Cersei's saying. Yeah, I love that. I really read it as these are people who are all, like we've been saying for a long time, uh, you know, they're looking out for themselves and they're doing that very well. They were serving King Robert and now they're serving Queen Cersei. Yep, I, uh, I think that's exactly right. But Sansa derails the whole conversation right off the bat, which I think is funny because the rest of the scene really does kind of go like clockwork. Yeah. But the first thing Sansa says is, is, well, you know, me and Jane Poole have been hanging out together. Jane's super worried about her father. What's going on there? And this is news to Cersei, who right. freaks out and goes off script for a brief moment. Yeah, I and, and I like this. And I think that there's, like we were saying at the beginning of this chapter, I mean, Sansa as a character seems to be here just so that I, as a reader, can feel pain. Um, and I think that a big part of that as a as a character is that Sansa is unable to understand or to accept the, the situations happening around her. She She's desperate to maintain 
some type of narrative that supports the stories as she understands them. She goes on to think to herself, there's no way somebody would have gone after Jane Poole's father. He's a story. He doesn't even carry a sword. Right. Like, like why would this be? And, you know, in, in contrast to what Jane Poole is saying, which is they're murdering everyone. Like th- this is a, a cl- like cleaning house of, of Starks. Like we've talked about. Um, yeah. And the idea that that would pick up, you know, non-combatants is totally beyond the pale for Sansa. Yeah. I, I, you know, I get the pain and I definitely remember feeling the same way reading it for the first time, but it's such a human element to have things that so drastically fight against, contradict, destroy your worldview and say, no, that's not right. Uh, I'm going to adopt something else. We're, we're watching Sansa go through that in real time. That's fine, but I will point to some of the sentences that are about to come up to say that it's a little extreme here. It's uh, absolutely it is. I but but I will say that you know Sansa is desperate to to get to to translate whatever's being told to her into the narrative that she wants to believe in. Uh, Cersei, while thrown a little off by finding out that Jane Poole is in this girl's room in Sansa's room, is is quick to come back and basically. You know, basically makes it clear we're going to get that girl out of this out of Sansa's room. There's no reason why Sansa should be in touch with anyone who's from her previous Stark life. Um, and Cersei is is quick to really. I mean, I I, I kind of think this is really well written. I really like the Cersei character as as in, as far as like being the character who she is and the way that she's portrayed and the way that she speaks. I mm-hmm. uh, conniving, you know, sort of malicious, you know, serpentine. You know, she she's she's really le- laying it on thick. You know, Joffrey loves you, don't you? He he loves you so much. Yeah. But we can't trust you, can we? You're you know, and sure enough, we have this revelation to Sansa after she's told how much Joffrey loves her, which her response is, "Her prince loved her. Nothing else mattered." Uh, you know, but but that's followed quickly by the the explanation: your father is a traitor. Stark is Ned Stark is a traitor. And this comes from Varys. And this goes into that sort of like plotted script to like you were kind of talking about. Yeah. Uh, Varys is supported quickly by those around him on the council. Varys says, you know, your father is a traitor. Pycelle turns around and and says, and, and basically really like like turns this up a notch. It's not just that he's a traitor, but in fact, as soon as King Robert was pronounced dead. You know, Ned said, there's, we have to throw Joffrey off the throne. We're going to take it over. This is a Stark throne now. We can see the embellishments here. Obviously, we were there for a lot of these conversations right. as readers. We know the reality. Uh, and it's also interesting here to see Sansa really torn between what she wants to believe in and what, what she knows is hard to believe. She can't believe that her father would do that. Uh, yet at the same time, she wants to believe Cersei. She really wants to believe that what's going on is 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 real. And and it's interesting to see her really torn there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so not aligned with who she knows Ned to be, who we know Ned to be. Uh, but at the same time, she's getting this pressure from these adults in this room. She's been in a terrifying situation. Uh, there's been the violence. She's been locked up in, in her bedroom this whole time. And now she's brought before the queen and the council and being pushed in a certain direction. And it's a direction she wants to go too she wants to go as long as ned will be safe you know we get to her wishful hopes about what the the verdict will end up being but as long as he's okay she's comfortable going along with it because then she gets to marry her beautiful prince we also find out cersei shares uh that not only is this treachery true but there's proof of it here's the letter that ned stark gave to one of his guardsmen to take to stannis yep Friggin' Ned, man. <laughs> Friggin' Ned. You couldn't send letters to a thousand people. You wouldn't like want to like get this out there. CC everybody on your mailing list. Yeah. So let's uh let's let's ask the necessary question. Is this is what Ned discovered going to die with him here? Are, are the Lannisters gonna be able to consolidate power in that sense, or is there something else maybe going on, something else in play? Well, you know, I think you mentioned it last episode, which is, you know, when Ned told Baelish about the Lannister secret that he found, Baelish was kind of like, oh, what a shock. I think that, I don't think that this is going to die with Ned. I think the need for for it to be important is going to die with Ned. I don't think right. anybody else is going to care 
Because oh. Baelish isn't going to act on it, even if he knows it. I mean, he didn't before. The one point that I'd remind you of is we know, we don't know how much he knows, but we know Stannis was with John Aaron in his investigations. Mm -hmm. So the extent to which this letter was necessary is very uncertain. Yes. Agreed. But I'll add to that. I think I, I think the letter was less about revelation than it was about like call to action. Hey, right. Okay, as a brother fair. in arms with you here in this knowledge, like let's do something. I, you know, Stannis will do what Stannis does. I think we have every reason to think that Stannis knows all about this. Uh, or at least knew what John Aaron knew, which it was about this. So I, I stand by it. Yeah. Um, however, Cersei is really just has such a yarn that she's telling here. And, 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 and I think it works so well, you know, Sansa, I'm so glad this is sort of the in, in chronology of this conversation. I'm so glad you're okay. I'm so sorry. We had to sequester you. Uh, you know, Joffrey loves you, right? You know that we Lannisters love you. We adore you. We know that you've done no wrongdoing, by the way, your father is a traitor. And this has huge implications. And by virtue of him being a traitor, we don't know if we can trust you. How can you show your love to us? How can you prove to us that that you you are sort of faithful to the Lannister crown here uh, and not to the Stark who was here uh, before? And, and even out, more so, it's it, it, how can we be sure it's not in your blood? Yeah. Uh, we find out that the thing that Cersei has cherished about Sansa uh, is that it's Sansa who ran to Cersei when Ned said that Arya and Sansa need to leave. Sansa spilled the beans about this escape uh, without knowing that what she was, what she was, you know, Ned didn't share about all the treachery that was going on and what was happening and everything. He just wanted his kids to be safe. But it was Sansa who kind of blew Ned's surprise moves here. Right. Uh, this is how the letter to Stannis got found. This is why. I assume everybody was wearing armor with Joffrey on the throne, although Ned did show his hand to Cersei pretty early on. Yeah, you know, this is this is something that gets brought up a lot in conversations surrounding Sansa, especially from people who, like you, do not like Sansa as much. And it's worth asking how much of an impact this actually had, considering that Ned had already told Cersei that he knew. Right. Uh, I do think it's safe to say that Sansa at least maybe accelerated the timeline or or prompted Cersei to act immediately where maybe it would have taken another few hours or another day and and that's just bad luck because it, that just results in Sansa herself not being able to get out not necessarily that it would have saved Ned's life or anything of that nature I will actually say that to me I was actually thinking about it from a different direction same thing but but a little differently which is why does Cersei care if Sansa is aligned with Lannisters or not? Like, what does she get from this? We find out, and I will add, by the way, the next moment here is that Cersei does what I think is just so well written, like in leading to this. This has all been leading to Cersei telling Sansa there's something that she needs from her. Yeah. You need to write to your family in all their different locations and say, that you're, you know, that that you need to confirm this story that your father was a traitor. You need to be the voice. They won't believe it from Cersei. They right. won't believe it from Baelish, you know. But if it comes from you, and sure enough, and I'm skipping a little bit ahead here, but sure enough, Cersei agrees and says, "I'm gonna." We'll, we'll go back and get to it, but like, she agrees to it. She's gonna write a letter to her mother. She wrote a letter to, I think, Rob Stark as well. She wrote a letter to the Tully family. Uh, she wrote a letter to there was a fourth person, Lysa, Lysa, uh, yep. Lysa Aaron. But, you know, those letters are nice, but from everything that I've been thinking about this, it doesn't seem to me that the Starks have some huge armies up in the north. It doesn't seem that the Tullys are the strongest of, the, the conflict is conflict and this could happen, but it doesn't seem like this is a, a unity or a peace that the Lannisters have to be desperate for. I don't understand. Okay. Yeah. No, so this what, is, this is what the important. need is from, for Sansa to be around. Yeah, um, they obviously want the peace full stop. The Lannisters want to be settled in their rule and, and have that not be challenged. The way Westeros is broken up, though, is into these kingdoms. It's almost like a confederation ruled mm -hmm. by the Central Crown. And there are definitely differing strengths between them, but not maybe not dramatically. The North is one of those, the Riverlands is one of those, and the West, the Westerlands is another one. So 
putting aside the throne for a moment, the Tullys and the Starks are roughly equivalent to the Lannisters in terms of their structure. Okay. Now, we learned early on that the North is much more sparsely populated, but also way bigger. So how that impacts the size of their armies or the strength they have to draw from, we don't know clearly yet how that lines up one-to-one against the Lannisters. Similarly, we know that the Riverlands are in a fairly central location, kind of trapped between uh, the capital, the north, the Erie, and the west, which makes them, you know, just from a geography standpoint, that much harder to defend. So there are weaknesses, there are risks. But you can see a situation where a a collection or an alliance between these areas could be a significant serious threat to the Lannisters, or at a minimum, at least destabilize things. And this is also a good point to remind you, I think it's worth mentioning, that the alliance that brought down the Targaryens was the Eyrie, the Riverlands, the North, and the Stormlands, which is the Baratheons. So it is the three that Cersei is having her right to, plus one more. So assuming the Baratheons weren't the provider of the vast majority of the strength of that coalition, it was already enough to take down a dynasty. Okay. Okay, good. That's actually, that's that's good context, because I was confused about it. It seems like Sansa was kind of like a, 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 could easily be a throwaway character, and that this, these letters didn't necessarily seem all that, like, required to me, but but that makes a lot of sense, what you're saying. Yeah, and then you, you also can add into that whole equation, where even if it's not necessarily enough to win, you also have a number of people who are not necessarily aligned with the Starks, or are certainly not people Sansa is writing to, but at a minimum do not seem to be aligned with the Lannisters. So obviously Stannis is the top of that list, but we saw Renly and Sir Loras Tyrell and a number of others flee together rather than stick around and do what Baelish and Varys are doing. Uh, so there are a lot of different threats to the Lannisters where they are not on the most stable power base during this succession, and they need to shore that up however they can. I suppose I was reminded of that moment where Catelyn took Tyrion uh, on the King's Road. And Tyrion was quick to notice that how many people didn't stand to raise their 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 arms with with uh, Catelyn and Starks in the north. But right. at the same time, I, I, I realize that that doesn't necessarily mean that they would raise their hand to join the Lannisters either. It's right. It's, and, you know, so. Yeah. And there's there's also the flip side where if the men who were reported to houses in the Riverlands, if their lords are now rising up because Hoster yeah. Tully as the head of the Riverlands told them to. Yeah, they'll all come along then. So it's it's one thing to to rock the boat when things are relatively peaceful. It's another thing when people are drawing lines and declaring sides. Fair. Uh, with that said, Cersei's plan has worked. Sansa uh, agrees to write these letters. They, she's told that she will be told what to write in these letters. Yeah, uh, which she is. I did want to point out just a couple things because this really is getting to the end of the, of the chapter, kind of where it ends. Um. I did want to point out that that Sansa really has such a faith in her stories and about what a king and how a king should act. Joffrey is her beloved. Joffrey loves her. Joffrey is a fair and loving man. Joffrey will make sure that Ned is taken care of. Right. Joffrey will make sure that that justice is is done correctly. And it, she finds a way to really. And I'm not saying this in, a, in an awful way, right? It's not that she had to convince herself so strongly to do this. She wants to believe it. She really believes that these letters that she's sending out are the best thing for her family, that she could do for Ned, that she could do for all of this. And, you know, here she is written as an 11 or 12-year-old, even if she was a 16 or 17-year-old. I mean, what a situation to be put in. Yeah. Why not cling to faith that things are good? Yeah, faith that things are good and also kind of justifying your own actions, right? Like Mm -hmm. she ran to Cersei to hold on to things. This entire book, we've seen her obsessed with the idea of marrying him. It's all she wants in the world. And having it's going to be a a serious break for her if she ever has to reconsider whether that was right, whether she was right to want to be with Joffrey or at all interested in these things. That's going to be really, really difficult when that day or if that day comes. Uh, I will note also, you know, Cersei does a really good job manipulating her over the course of this chapter. Maybe not uh, in a way that would have worked on somebody older or somebody savvier, but certainly in a way that is perfectly tailored for Sansa. 
you know, how can we trust that you're good? How can we trust you? And Sasa's reaction to that is really so indicative of this mindset that we've been talking about. I'm not like Arya. She has the traitor's blood, not me. I'm good. Ask Septa Mordane. She'll tell you. And this reminded me, she she said the exact same thing during the trial of the direwolves. Mm -hmm. Lady wouldn't do anything. Lady wouldn't do that. She's good. She has such an attraction to the idea that being good and playing your role and doing what you're supposed to gets rewarded so yeah she's the pretty young lady who wants to be a lady and yeah. to have sons and so she should get the gallant beautiful prince uh who becomes the the merciful just king all of those things go together because that's what that's the way the world works you do the right things and you get rewarded and, and so yeah. she's just still grabbing on to the last straws of that yeah i agree uh the chapter really does come to an end there uh she finishes writing these letters she's really grappling with what she's done she feels good and the chapter closes out with her realizing that through none of this she's thought about what's happened to aria where's her sister yeah. uh and that's kind of where it closes itself out and we, we find ourselves now yeah what one last note uh by the time she gets back jane pool is gone um mm -hmm. we we skimmed over this but it's worth noting Baelish volunteers mm -hmm. to take care of Jane Poole, which is certainly quite ominous considering the business that he works in. Uh, but so so Jane Poole is gone and Sansa is thinks she's happy about that, but doesn't feel happy about it, which I, I think is kind of the perfect summary of where she's at here. I can so, only assume that Jane Poole is now a prostitute. Uh, yeah, that, that seems like a safe bet, which is really horrifying uh, in a variety of different ways. Um, so I just have one question for you, which is about kind of the macro elements. You know, Sansa sent out these letters. The Lannisters are trying to preempt war. What's the reaction from her family going to be to this type of situation? Every part of me thinks that they're going to have to be able to see through this. You know, your your 11-year-old, or even if we want to say, call it 16-year-old daughter, sends you a letter saying, it's true, dad was a traitor. Right? Like, is it you take her opinion or you're going to take who you know ned stark to be uh yeah. i can't imagine it'll be much i'll say even more directly i don't think anything could get lysa to think any differently about the lannisters and her opinions or get her to move yeah. out of the out of the veil you know it wouldn't matter what she said uh and you know i think that that one of the interesting parts about this world and just reality as as we have it here is instant communication is not a thing Right. Uh, so if the Tullys get this, and, you know, in River Run, and agree to it, and they say that's fine, and Catelyn says, no, 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 I got to get in touch with the Tullys, we got to come together. Like, what happens during that time of trying to figure this out? So, I, yeah, I don't think they're yeah. going to believe it, though. I, I, I'm hard pressed on that. I think there is kinda... one other aspect to this tactic from Cersei that I want to point out here, where you get a letter spelling all of this out from Sansa. There's a threat to that. Yeah there's hey we have your daughter yeah uh and and so that is part of the communication in addition to the actual facts of what she's saying so it'll be interesting to see the reaction from uh from the stark tully aaron camp camp rather uh and, and see where they go from there yeah for sure and uh i'm also kind of curious what's about to happen to sansa because we know joffrey to be kind of an angry person like like i don't there's a lot sansa seems to be walking out on a very very uh delicate bridge right now uh, over a very big abyss and i'm i'm kind of waiting for that fall to happen not eagerly but i just assume that this is kind of where we're going yeah that makes sense well we'll we'll find out soon enough indeed so next time uh we're just doing one one chapter just it's one a big one uh it's gonna line us up well for what comes afterwards but i'm looking forward to it. it's john seven John 7, let's go. That's all for this episode. Next week, we'll be discussing one chapter, A Game of Thrones, John 7. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast. And tell us your feedback or thoughts on Twitter at bros, B-R-O-S, with banners. Thanks, as always, for listening.